What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of the Man Cave Podcast. Brought to you by Hy-Vee and Toys and Ford. I'm Dan Casper. With you, as always, we're talking some NFL playoffs. We're recording this on Friday, so they start tomorrow here. Brandon Berg's going to join me in a second to talk some postseason action and a little bit more about uh, 49ers and Packers. Plus, we got picks. We're going to also make uh, some coaching predictions. And then a quick chat with Dr. Crow talking some playoff injuries and uh, what his thoughts are on Giannis's shoulder injury. But we begin the podcast talking a little uh, postseason football. Uh, if the Texans beat the Ravens, can we make sure that uh, next week's championship game is on a Saturday afternoon? If the Texans somehow get there. somehow find a way to make it be two o'clock on NBC, yep, definitely. Uh, so you've got both the one seeds in action tomorrow with uh, the Ravens hosting the Texans, and then of course the Forty ers hosting the the Packers, and then Sunday Buccaneers versus Lions, and then uh, the nightcap for the weekend, the one that's probably going to get the most attention: Buffalo and Kansas City in Buffalo over there too. So. See that Buffalo is going to need snow shovelers again. Uh, they say, I don't think it's as bad as last time. I don't know if I want to go to a game where you're just literally like plowing through the snow. Yeah, I, and, I'm sure people have seen that video of those people going to their seats and like, yeah. they're just like walking through the snow. Like yep. that's up on the up on the benches. Right. Ooh. I mean, I've been in Lambeau many times during cold games, and those benches over there. Sometimes you can't sit because everybody's like layered up, so right. there's not enough room. And then you're complaining about you're sitting in my seat, you know, sort of thing. It's like that thing is just like, who cares at that point? Right. You know, if you can find a it's spot. Kind of like but, general admission seating at that yeah. point. Which, by the way, Dallas, they're like free for all. As soon as the door I don't is get, open. I, I don't understand why everyone's in such a hurry to run to their seats. You have your seat. Well, it's the uh, standing room only ones. Oh. And they got a boatload of them. Oh, I didn't know that. So it's like they just take off running for that thing. Like, that's just there's how is something really bad not yeah, happening? Yeah, like how yet? someone trips or you know trips mm-hmm. on a shoelace and suddenly they get run over. Yeah, but uh, when you look at this weekend's games, is it that Buffalo and Kansas City one that intrigues you the most? Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Just because that has the most built-in history to it. Yeah, is it the new Peyton Brady rivalry I've that everybody's kind of? I've seen someone make that comparison. I could, I could buy that. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if it's quite at that level because they, I mean, they played in the playoffs, but I mean, those guys play Manning and Brady played all a ton. Which yeah. give it a few more years and maybe that changes. But mm-hmm. I could, I could see that. And this one, I mean, I guess in uh, in that way, I guess would that make Mahomes the the Brady, the Brady. right now because they've won them. Yeah. They've won them, so yeah. and eventually Peyton Manning kind of got his and kind of reversed the trend in that rivalry. But right, you know, maybe this is that time. It's kind of you know, Patrick's got the MVPs though too. Like like Manning always got the MVPs right, there right. too. So, um, yeah, I mean, I get it. I, I, you know, it does give a nice little throwback to the '90s with it being Buffalo and Kansas City, right? And, you know, that sort of feel. I feel like it's a game that needs to be on, D- on NBC with Dick Enberg. On yes, the call. yes, definitely. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, non-Packers fan probably kind of looking at that one. You know, I'm just worried about that Texans and, and Ravens one. Is it going to be a blowout? That 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 makes me a little bit nervous. I'm not trying to discredit what the Texans or anything. No, have done, the, but I mean the Ra- Ravens are just they're really, they really were good. humming. How much do you, do you factor in a rust factor for both the Niners and, and the Ravens? And that's something I'm really curious to see because I think in both 
games, more specifically the Packer 49er game, but in both games, I think it's going to be a really good example of rest versus momentum. Mm-hmm. Because in both cases, the the lower seeded team, be it the Texans or the Packers, are playing really well right now. And they're, I mean, they've had to. I mean, they've had to kind of come from behind to, to mm-hmm. get in the playoffs and then, you know, score the score a road win last week versus the Ravens, who have had two weeks off. And the 49ers, you know, their last game they played that was meaningful was Christmas. Yeah. And they got smoked by the Ravens. So I think it's going to be a very interesting test case. And we've seen examples of both over the years of, you know, a team in that spot struggle or a team in that spot just come out ready to go, like mm-hmm. come out refreshed. So, you know, we won't know and we can. You know, form our narratives after Saturday's over, but it's going to be very interesting that you have both of those teams that are kind of in similar spots in that game, in those games. You're right because I mean, if there was a, clearly the right answer, everybody would be doing it right. the same. It, way. Yeah, it's not. It, it doesn't always work one way or the other. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like, and I'm, I've got nothing to base this off of, nothing whatsoever. But for a younger team like Texans and, and Green Bay, it's almost better for them not to have that buy so they can just keep going with that yeah, momentum. Yeah, I would say that it's definitely better for the veteran team because they know, probably know how to handle it a little bit better, especially mm-hmm. a team like the 49ers that have kind of been in that spot at times. Mm-hmm. You know, Ravens just, were a couple years ago when they did lose to the Titans in the yeah. division round, but maybe they learned a little bit from And Harbaugh's been around for a while, too. Right, so, so um, but that's, that's really what I'm looking for with those two Saturday games is, you know, which team kind of, you know, Win, which wins out? Mm-hmm. There was uh, Brandon and I had a little chuckle about this during during one of the breaks, but around the NFL, Twitter has a headline. Uh, apparently, somebody asked Kyle Shanahan about this, but um, they are not changing their coin toss strategy because of Green Bay and and Jordan Love, and what so they did, and what they did last week, right? Um, so. That's a thing, uh, I guess, right? I mean, that's here. My thing is too. If you're the Forty ers it's kind of similar to to Green Bay. If Green Bay is going to say we want the ball, you know, they win a toss, we, we want it right away. If you're the Forty ers though, too, if you're going to quote, if if Kyle Shanahan is going to sit there and say, "Yeah, we're going to alter it," well, you've then that has the negative reaction. Like you don't have confidence, right? And I said you've already gotten their head then, right? Like you're they're making you do what you don't want to do. Hmm. Right. And it's a coin toss. Yeah, I'm, I'm not trying to downplay it, but it's yeah. It, you've got a pretty solid defense. I don't think you're necessarily going to be worried about. Oh man, we got to get that offense out there right away. Right, right. You, you know, so but it was not that whoever asked that that was not potentially the the dumbest question of the week asked by the media. Yeah, and I say this as a member of the the media, not the national media, obviously. But mm-hmm. uh, that did you see the video or the clip from the? Uh, I think it was Todd Bowles. Oh, the uh, the uh, elements the, playing in the elements. Yeah, yes, up there. yes. Somebody asking Todd Bowles about you know playing in the elements of Detroit. Detroit plays indoors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I'm sure that person felt really bad about it once they you know figured Realized out. Hey, it, you're playing yeah. indoors. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. But yeah, still, that's that's a rough way to start the week if you're that reporter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How much do you think? Sometimes. <laughs> With this, with this Packers and 49ers game, there's so many similarities and, and connections, right? I mean, you've got the question out there that everybody kind of asks every year, depending on the games and such. Well, does so and so know so and so better? You know, does do they know what they're doing? Do you, do you know? Obviously, Lafleur worked a lot of years under Shanahan as a Shanahan disciple. 
was his quarterback's coach in a couple spots and, and, and that sort of stuff. Does that fact, you know, when I see this game, and you can see the similarities with the, with the offenses, right? Motion, misdirection. Uh, Early play action. Yep. Uh, formations where multiple plays can come out of it. You know, there's there's that. Does that benefit either side, or does it kind of neutralize it at, at that point? So. I, mean, I don't think so. I think it's, you know, it kind of goes back to what you're saying about the coin toss. I think if either of those guys think, well, he might, you know, he knows some things about me. We have to change everything we do. I think you're already putting yourself at a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't think it makes too much of a difference. If one thing, maybe, is it help maybe the team's defenses because, well, they practice against similar stuff already. So, be, yeah. you, you know, they're, they're kind of there. Because, I mean... They're not gonna. They're not running the exact same plays. You know, no. the Forty ers whatever they run, doesn't necessarily mean Green Bay might have similar ones or ones like that. But the playbook isn't the exact same uh, over there. I, I would have to imagine each team is going to come out with a few different things to right. try to a catch them wrinkles. off guard. You know, a few wrinkles over there. But you know, I, I guess I don't necessarily buy into that whole. Well, you know. He knows what he's going to do and, and all that. I, I know there was that clip from a few years ago. I think it was the NFC Championship game with the 49ers and, and the Packers where Shanahan's on the sidelines talking to that official, saying, watch him, he's going to hold him. He's going to run an out route, and he's going to hold him. Like our guy, George Kittle, is going to run an out route, and that defender's going to hold And he did exactly that. I don't think that was because play call. It's I think it's a lot of scout. Scouting yeah, that's sort more of scouting. Thing. Because remember, that would have been back when McCarthy was there. No, the first year of LaFleur. Oh, it was the first year of LaFleur. So it yeah. was oh, – so- yeah. It was that first NFC Championship game in San Francisco. When oh yeah, there was. Okay, my yeah, I'm, yeah. I don't know why I, um, I got ahead of myself. Sorry. When they were when they like threw the ball nine times. The, the Raheem Mostert game. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's when and then Forty ers lost to the Chiefs in a yep. Super Bowl yep. over there. So okay. That to me is more the scouting right aspect right. of it. So, um, the one thing that does when I look at this game. For for and speaking of that running game too, last week was the question: Would McCarthy stick with the running game? Because we've seen instances or not. To me, this one's like the 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 complete opposite. Shanahan would have no problem running the ball fifty fifty five times, right? Right. If if he if he could get away yeah. with it, this is one where now you're at the point of the year where you can lean on Christian McCaffrey, mm-hmm. like. You can you don't feel bad if you have to give him twenty five carries mm-hmm. and then throw him six passes. Right, we've been victims of that. We've we've seen that before, and he's even been on record talking about how much he would just rather run run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. So I mean, knowing that if you're Joe Barry, how do you not prepare to to stop the you run, load up, up the box? You gotta say you gotta beef up those boxes. Right, you can't. Come, try to come out like on first down with like a nickel package and say, "Oh well, if they run, so be it." When you know a team wants to run, mm-hmm. it's one thing when you do that against a team that doesn't like to run, or you know would prefer to throw. Right. But you have a pretty, even though they you know, 49ers can't throw, they got some good receiver stuff. You know what they want to do. Mm-hmm. They want to run the ball. Right. And I feel like that mindset, and a lot of def- defensive coordinators do this. Not saying Joe Barry's the only one. A lot of them do this, but they have that. That defensive mindset of like, okay, we're going to make you play perfect offense every drive to, to score. We're going right? to make you. We're going to make you go twelve plays down the field instead of six. Right. And while I get that, I mean, as a Viking fan, I still have a little bit of a shell shock from Ed Dante last year because that's what he wanted, and he right. would it would just be, hey, we want to make him make twelve plays to beat us down the field, and teams did, right? Because they were play played so soft, and, and I feel like 
with this 49ers offense, who I think is the most balanced offense in the league, top five passing and rushing, they don't care. No, you're, you're <laughs> playing right into their hands. They're basically right. saying, okay, fine. You want us to run? Okay, we will. Yeah. We'll keep your offense off the field. We don't right. care. Exactly. So that's where I feel like and I want, and I might be wishful thinking, and you'll appreciate this because he didn't hold anything back. Dan Fouts, water boy. I want to see the defense be more aggressive in this one. Taking chances, taking riskus. 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 <laughs> taking a risk in this thing. It might burn them a few times, but I don't feel like you can play that style in I, this one. I agree. I feel like you've got to get your corners up, get them off their routes a little bit, maybe bring some extra blitzes, pressure. pressure. Make Brock pretty, make mistakes. Yes. You, you, you can't just play that style of defense like we're going to you know just make them really work for Rush it. four drop seven yeah you know defensive backs eight yards off the line of scrimmage because let's throw slants to Debo Samuel because mm-hmm. Brock Purdy is similar to, to love in a lot of facets isn't he where he's playing within the system right you know call it a game manager call it a playing a system or or whatever have you which I feel like it's I feel like that phrase or that term has been dropped a lot this year it has system quarterbacks game managers whatever and, and it's people almost i think a lot of people almost use it as a derogatory term yeah and i don't because you're they're literally doing exactly what you want them to do like mm-hmm. how is that a bad thing like oh no they're doing exactly what they're being coached to do and finding success oh my gosh that's so terrible no right. it's not right and you had bosa coming out with a comment this week about you know aaron would kind of do some off the off script Free, stuff, yeah, freelance his own stuff, but yeah. you know Jordan Love is doing what he's supposed to. And Stanovich, the offensive coordinator, kind of said the same thing, and he's like, you know, in the past, he's like not saying it was bad. You know, we had success, but a lot of times when Aaron would do that, then you're coming off the field trying to figure out, okay, what was that play? Why did was that play? You know, what did you see? You're spending time doing that, whereas this, you're playing with a system. You're already the communication's better at that point. I just find it interesting, and I'm going to try to phrase this and see. I want to see if you can kind of get where I'm getting at here. But you see these veteran quarterbacks, like like an Aaron Rodgers, at a certain point in their career, where you know, do they get this wealth of knowledge and experience where they start to think, okay, you know, I can do this, I can do. Because I'm thinking of these quarterbacks, some of these really good quarterbacks that have almost made some of these offensive corners. Because I feel like Lafleur. Tell me if I'm way off base on this or dramatic on this. You know, when he was first hired, he had one year experience of being a play caller in Tennessee. He comes in. And I think for that position, for his position, it was good to have a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers. He can learn from, he can lean on from, kind of have a crutch, right, as as Rodgers. But it almost felt like these last few, you know, when Green Bay was ready to make the move for, for Jordan Love, it wasn't just because Jordan Love was ready, but Matt LaFleur might have been ready too in terms of the play-calling experience. Not to get too dramatic, but you know kind of yeah. what I'm getting at it there? Because I feel like when you look at some of these, it's not for everybody, but these veteran quarterbacks, these very knowledgeable quarterbacks, and I think about their offensive coordinators, and when they get success or get a head coaching job, they tend to maybe not have great careers. Adam Gase. I was, that was literally <laughs> the, with Peyton Manning. That was literally what I was thinking. How many jobs did Adam Gase get because he was an offensive coordinator for Peyton Manning? Right. Nathaniel Hackett, you know, you're looking at a guy, and I'm not, I'm not throwing you under the bus for this, but Byron Leftwich, yeah, 
with, with Tom yeah, Brady. Yeah, when I was I was in on Byron Leftwich a when, lot of you know, people as being were. a you know head coach a couple of years ago in the Vikings needs yeah. one. And I don't think he's anywhere right now. I don't know what he's doing, yeah. You know, you have these veterans. And so it's like, okay, you know, are they doing what the veterans doing? Are they actually, you know, incorporating their own off? You know what I'm trying to get at? Yes. A little bit there? Like, yeah. it, to me, it's kind of fascinating to look at because I almost feel like since we're in this head coaching cycle, hiring cycle here too, for offensive coordinators, it, it almost feels like that – they're for for them to become successful head coaches. Would it be a little bit harder in some instances because do you look at the quarterback situations where they came from as an offensive coordinator? Whereas if you're a defense coordinator, you mostly got the whole unit. You you got yeah. some great players. Yeah, but it doesn't it doesn't it's not like well it always starts with the inside linebacker. Right, exactly. Whereas again, Adam Gase had Peyton Manning. He's had two shots at being a head coach, and it was awful. Yes, it was not good. And you look at some of these other guys, and it's like, okay, is it because of their system, or is it because you know was it their quarterback? That's why, you know, I was thinking about this the other day with like Lafleur, and I think we all know like his offense. We're start we're seeing something different. It's that his offense that we want to see. But maybe, and I know at that higher, a lot of people didn't like it. Like, okay, he doesn't have a lot of experience. It really now when you look back at it, I get it. Hindsight's twenty twenty. But was it for the growth? We were bringing in a young head coach that we see a lot of potential with. Something that that, that we could maybe see something really cool down the line. We're going to pair him with that veteran quarterback. So he gains that experience. Had great success right away going yep. to NFC Championship games. But then not only did it feel like that they were ready, that Jordan Love was ready, but maybe Matt LaFleur was ready. Then I could see that. Be a little more, take the reins a little bit more. I could see that. That makes sense. I think so. I'm trying to yeah. process it as I'm trying to say it out there, sort of thing. But it's just, and it's not to say not every offense. I mean, could we say Josh McDaniels as an example too, of that offensive coordinator? Yeah, he worked really well with Brady, right? But obviously, it didn't work so well for him when he got his chance, you know, to be a head coach. And that's where it's going to be. I think seeing some of these young quarterbacks who are having success, was it like in ten years? Are they still playing within that system? Because I feel like Drew Brees did. I feel like Patrick Mahomes is under Andy Reid. I feel like those guys are playing. They're great quarterbacks, and they can do a little off-script stuff, and they may have a little bit more freedom. But I feel like they're still playing within the confines of the offense. I feel like Drew Brees did that under Sean Payton throughout his entire career, and and Patrick Mahomes is. But I think it would be an interesting case study to see some of these younger veterans, if they start having or younger guys, if they start having success. Like an Aaron Rodgers, success within the offense, but then does it get like, well, no, we should do it this way, you know, that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. I think it's different for everybody, but kind of interesting in that point too. Because I think we'd all agree, Peyton Manning's offenses were predicated on what Peyton Manning wanted right, to do. Right, because he, he was <laughs> synonymous with audibleing at the line and changing things, Omaha, Omaha, yada, yada, yada. Yep, seeing what the defense was and then adjusting it to that right. sort of thing. So. Oh, I'll stay about that deal there. It's getting a little philosophical. Time to make some picks and predicts. Brought to you by the Elbow Room. Reminder for tomorrow's game over at the Elbow Room. There will be drink specials going on. Free shots for every person in the bar for a Green Bay touchdown. So if it's like last week, woo, 
get prepared and maybe have a driver. So, uh, but that's tomorrow at uh, the Elbow Room during the game, San Fran, Green Bay. Again, drink specials going on and free shots for every person who is in the bar when Green Bay scores a touchdown. So, looking for somewhere maybe to catch that game. Think of the Elbow Room over by Banbury Place there. Do you want to do the coaches or the games first? Uh, don't matter. Let's do the coaches first. How about that? We'll, we'll do coaches first. That way it gives less time for people to give me crap about my there potential Packers go. pick. So we know the, the Patriots opening already. Let's go with the Washington Commanders first, Brandon. Who do you think is going to be the next Washington Commanders head coach? This one, I'm going to go with who I think is probably the hottest commodity, and that's Ben Johnson. Yeah, I think being able to go to Washington, new ownership, high draft pick, they can get their quarterback of the you know their quarterback of the future. I, I think that's you know you've, you've already got some receivers there with Terry McLaurin and, and some other guys. Like, I think that's a not a, not a bad spot to jump into. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go with Ben Johnson. You know, they got their. Um... New general manager, Adam Peters, who comes over from the uh, San Francisco 49ers. He was the assistant general manager uh, over there. So do you potentially look at somebody from that 49ers staff that, that would that would follow him over there? However, apparently there is a little bit of a um, – there, uh, there was a report that Johnson, Ben Johnson, Peters, maybe have a little bit of a connection – but they don't have an immediate connection, according to some of the stuff uh, out there, because uh, that was first thought out there that there was some sort of connection, but apparently there isn't. Um, the other person I thought of, maybe Bobby Slug, came from the 49ers, Houston, over there. But I'll tell you what, I agree with you. I'm going with Ben Johnson. Um I know last year he turned on Carolina. Carolina loves them some Ben Johnson, it sounds like, even last year and this year. And I don't want to go to that situation right now. So it's a better situation in Washington right now. Yeah, I'm going to go Ben Johnson. For the first time in a while, it's a better situation. Right. I mean, if you look at a lot of these like blogs or articles out there, rankings like the best jobs, Washington's up there, yeah. which is kind of surprising. So, All right, Chargers. Um, you know, I I know you said that you didn't think he was going to take it. I think it ends I said up. So was leaning. Okay, I think it's Jim Harbaugh. Okay. I think he's in a spot now where he's kind of accomplished what he can or mm-hmm. in Michigan. And um, you know, again, if he gets paid a bunch of money and apparently can never be punished for anything he may have done, not that he did, but right. if I were to, I want to make sure I can't be punished for it. Mm-hmm. I just think it makes sense. You know. Nice, you know, warm water city, big market. He's got his quarterback. You he is familiar of, with the West Coast. He's familiar with the West Coast. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think that make connection makes the most sense. So I'll go with Jim Harbaugh. Um, you're right. There was part of me that was kind of like, okay, is it kind of you know? Because I, I heard that report that they were still negotiating with, with Michigan and such. Does he still go? Ultimately, though. I agree with you again. I'm going with Harbaugh with with the Chargers. It just, but the the thing that gives me pause, it just seems too obvious. This is true. This is true. It does. It seems way too obvious at this point. So that's what makes me a little bit nervous. But you're right. If Harbaugh has said, and I think his actions speak this too, if he feels like he's got unfinished business in the NFL, one, 
time is kind of running out. You've got a great situation with the Chargers with your quarterback already and some talent around that. Not many of these other opportunities potentially could come up. So, yeah, I'm going to go with the Chargers over there. Raiders, this one might be kind of easy. Uh, yeah, I think we're going to be the same one. I'm going to go Antonio Pierce. I think yeah. I don't think uh, Mark Davis makes the same mistake again. Yep. I think he goes with the interim coach that everybody liked, mm-hmm. and he wants to keep Max Crosby. So, Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I think the Max Crosby thing was kind of the nail that maybe shut that coffin, if you will, or shut that door uh, over there. It's not the flashy pick that he likes, um, but no. I th- but how many times has the flashy pick burned him? Right. Go yep. with the go with the one your team wants. Yep. Um, I know there has been some talk about Harbaugh with with the Raiders and such, uh, but uh, I go with go with your team. Otherwise, if you don't, you, then you got to bring in a coach where it's going to be a complete rebuild because guys are going to want out. Right. So, yeah, I, I agree with you, Falcons. Another one I think it's the obvious one I think is Bill Belichick. Again, the second interview, him and Arthur Blank getting all buddy buddy. Yep. I think Belichick goes there to to get his to get the record. I can't believe I'm saying this, but again, I agree with you. Hey, knock it off. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna be different here at some point. Um, I just if these reports are true, the writing's on the wall, isn't it? And it sure seems like this is the only one Belichick has been interviewing with. And if it was the first meeting, just Arthur Blank and Belichick, now you're involving the general managers and such, it's progressed to another step. So, yeah, I think he's going to – and it's going to look really weird. Yes, it is. It's going to look really weird. Yes, it is. Let's go with Seattle. Um, Are we going to go five for five here? I don't know. Because I – it wasn't a great – it wasn't a great one last week, but I think Dan Quinn. Okay. I, I don't think it, you know, last week obviously was not maybe great for his candidacy, but I, I think the connection there, I think he comes back. I'm going to go Dan Quinn. So this is, remember, John Schneider's first shot at hiring a head coach because when he got hired as general manager over there, Pete Carroll was already in place. So this is for all the. For, for as long as John Schneider has been there and has been a really good general manager when he went from Green Bay over there, this is the first time he is hiring a coach. I am not going Dan Quinn. Um, I'm not going Dan Quinn on this one. I'm not confident in this pick because part of me almost feels like that would Schneider go offensive. He's got three receivers to work with an offensive-minded head coach, an up-and-coming first-time head coach. I don't think so. Again, I, I'm, I'm a little little hesitant on that. The one connection, I mean, Bobby Slowick grew up in Green Bay. Does he have a connection with John Schneider? You, you know, you're kind of wondering that over there, but I'm going Vrabel. I'm going to go Mike Vrabel over there. I'm not 100% confident in that, though, because I don't know if John Schneider wants a retread. Yeah, but do you count Vrabel a retread because that was just kind of like a why did you fire him right. sort of thing? Yeah, and I don't know if I do. And like there are, and remember there are examples of coaches in their second jobs being much better. Right. Yep. Bill Belichick. Yep. Andy Reid. Yep. I mean, and Andy and uh, Andy Reid had a lot of success mm-hmm. in Philly, mm-hmm. but I don't necessarily think a retread is always a bad thing. No, I think again that also kind of gets the negative right. You know, hit right. to it too. So, but I'm going to go Vrabel on that one. So I think they just interviewed, too. I think that might have been his first one. Speaking of Rabel, 
Tennessee. Tennessee. I'm going to go with a guy that another one that uh, I mentioned. You know, was kind of in the you know talked about with the Vikings a few years ago that I really like. That's Raheem Morris. Mm. I think again, he's. I mean, you can call him a retread, former Buccaneers coach, but I like his kind of coaching path because he's coached both offense and defense. Mm-hmm. I think. I, I I don't know. I just like that connection there with Raheem Morris in Tennessee. I am going to go defensively. Oh, Aaron Glenn. I think the Lions are going to be like the Phillies of last year where both coordinators get poached. And I just I that one to me, I'm I don't know why. I'm I'm trying cuz that one is such a weird situation over there in, in Tennessee. I don't know what to make of it to to be honest with you. I mean, Derrick Henry's going to be gone. You've got Will Levis as your quarterback. I don't know if DeAndre Hopkins is going to be there or not. So, is it kind of a rebuilding sort of thing? Um, maybe they go on an offensive side to try to get the most out of Will Levis. They could do that. Maybe it's a Frank Smith from Miami, or maybe it is a Bobby Slowick. I just keep going back to Aaron Glenn for whatever reason. So, I'm going to shoot my shot and say Aaron Glenn with with that one. Then, finally, do we got Carolina? Is that the last one? Okay, Carolina, because we did all – yep. No, yeah, yeah Carolina. Yeah, we did Carolina. Yeah. Yep. And right. this – um, I have this almost feels like Houston from the last couple of years before. Right, you just don't lines. know. Um, there were two that popped in my head. Ultimately, though, I'm going to go Bobby Sloak. Okay, I think that they've got the young quarterback. They see what he's been able to do with C.J. Stroud. Maybe there's a little buyer's remorse there from last year, but they say, you know what, do that with our guy. Like they want to get the young offensive mind, you know, the young offensive mind to pair with uh, Bryce Young mm-hmm. and. I just, yeah, I'm going to go Bobby Sloak. I'm going back and forth between two. One is Bobby Sloak. One is one name we haven't mentioned yet that was getting a lot of interviews initially. And that's Mike McDonald, defense coordinator for, for the Ravens. But I feel like Carolina wants that offensive person. So I agree with you. I'm going Bobby Sloak by, by the slimmest of, of margins right now. You know, Mike McDonald would be maybe another one for, for Tennessee, but I almost feel like, too, he's in a driver's seat, maybe kind of similar to D'Amico Ryan's, where he can kind of almost pick and choose yeah. where he wants to go. And I think he's in a really good situation with Baltimore right now. Um, that's not to mean it's always going to be like that, because that is a risk, you know, taking it to Byron Leftwich. Um No, I I think Carolina really – because i got to imagine Houston did a lot of prep work on Bryce Young leading up to the draft. Last year, just in case, right? I mean, they they had to have done that. You would think Bobby Slook's kind of familiar with that, being involved in that. I think that's where they'll go to. So, The other guy I was thinking there, if they really wanted to try to turn things around and kind of re-energize that fan base a little bit, was Mike Vrabel. Mm. Like, Do you think he'd take that, though? I don't know. I, and that's it. I, I don't know if he would. Like, He can mm-hmm. afford it. You know, he could sit out of here if he want to, and I guess in my mm-hmm. scenario, I have him doing that. Be Bill's defensive coordinator, or, or yeah, or being some sort of you know ancillary coach somewhere for a year to kind of keep him himself in the game. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I for the reasons you mentioned, the ones I mentioned, I think Slowick is the guy. Mm-hmm. Maybe Mike McDaniel over in Seattle too, or not McDaniel McDonald McDonald Ravens defense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you. Uh, okay, so we actually kind of... We were pretty similar. Yeah. We were very similar over there. All right, so some games. 
We've got a few minutes left. Some games here. Let's start with Houston-Baltimore. Do you want to do lines on this? Yeah, let's do lines. Okay, I'll bring up the lines on here. I mean, we know who's the favorite, but I what, where's that line kind of at at this point in time here? Uh, come on, load up here. I mean, you're picking the Ravens, right? I am. Okay. I kind of figured that. No breaking news there. Uh, the line currently is nine and, nine and a half. I will take Baltimore to cover. I'll say they win by like 13. Okay. So maybe like a 27-13 Baltimore. I think Baltimore wins. I'm going to go 30 to 13. I'll go 30-13 with that one. Your price is right in me. You're just I know. One, a couple up. Uh, we're going to skip this one for the last one. How about Tampa Bay versus Detroit? I think Tampa Bay is a better shot in this than maybe some people are, are giving them. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I do think Detroit. I think that you know playing at home in that environment, I think it's going to be tough, a little bit tougher on that Tampa Bay offense, even though I do think the Tampa Bay offense is going to move the ball. Mm-hmm. You know that Last week, I think they showed against the Rams, like, eh, you know, that defense still is not – I think eventually that defense – that that uh, defensive uh, – Issues they have bites them, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's quite yet. So I'm going to take Detroit. What's the line? Uh, six and a half. But I, I will take Detroit. But I say Tampa Bay covers. Okay, I'll take like a twenty-seven twenty-three. I just don't know what version of Tampa Bay is going to show up. Right. And I remember at the beginning of the year we talked about this Tampa Bay team. Like they got players still. Yeah. And it was just we didn't know what Baker Mayfield was yeah, going to do. Turns and, out, I mean. Turns out Baker Mayfield just shouldn't have been, or he, he shouldn't have been out there playing when he was hurt, right? Because that's the mistake he made, mm-hmm. or he was he he did it because he was for whatever it was, whatever the scenario was, they were right. Um, Todd Bowles is going to blitz the crap out of Jared Goff. Jared Goff, that's kind of his his issues over there. I'll go Lions, but they don't cover like twenty three twenty. I'm going to go that way. I, I agree with you. I think it could be sneaky good. Sneaky close. Uh, really quickly here, let's go to Buffalo, Kansas City. This line is at three for, for Buffalo. So, I mean, it's even. <laughs> um, I will take Buffalo, and I think it's a push. Okay. I, think bu- this, I think this Buffalo wins by three. I think this is the one where they break through. I think Buffalo wins too, and it's a close one. I'm going to say Buffalo covers, though. It's going to be like four or five, some weird number like that. And then San Francisco and Green Bay, that line is also nine and a half. I'm going to pick Green Bay. Oh, what? Yep. <laughs> oh, you sorry son of a. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way they're playing. And I, as I mentioned I don't earlier, know if this is the kiss of death or, no, or you not know. Not necessarily. Because I remember the year the Packers played the Buccaneers in the NFC title game, I picked Tampa Bay. Yeah. But I like the way they're playing, and I think the things they did against Dallas, some of those things they could do against San Francisco. Wow. Um, I should have went first. <laughs> I stole your buzz. Oh, my God. So I'm going to take – I'll take Green Bay like 27-24. Wow. Anders Carlson with the game winner. I never said that. <laughs> he gonna make, he, no, they're going to score four touchdowns. He'll miss an extra point. Um. I'm going to go 30. I'll go 30. 30-20, San Francisco. 
Why do I believe in the Green Bay Packers and you don't? I just, <laughs> I, you know what? Dallas looked like they overlooked Green Bay. 49ers aren't going to do that. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Green Bay squeaks it out. I mean, a little bit of me would be surprised. I mean, come on, it's San Francisco. A little bit of me would be a surprise at least. But, hey, I picked against them last week. I'm superstitious, so that's why I'm doing it. Yeah, but now you acknowledge that you're... Don't mess with my head. You acknowledge the juju. Don't mess with my head. I'll go get my Joe Boo and, you know, figure that all out. Get your rum. Yep. Going to take a quick break, and we're going to catch up with Dr. Austin Crow, Chippewa Valley Orthopedics and Sports Medicine, playoff injuries, and his thoughts on Giannis's shoulder injury. Good stuff coming up here after these quick words. It's that time of year where we may be stuck indoors for a bit, so you need to make sure your pantries, fridge, and freezers are fully stocked. How do you do that while also saving some money? Easy. Just shop at Hy-Vee in Eau Claire. Whether it's stocking the pantry with soups or dried goods, or loading up the deep freezer with pizzas and frozen foods, Hy-Vee has the best selection to help keep you stocked during the winter months. And with their Hy-Vee perks, you'll save money at the register and the gas pump. Stock up on your favorite grocery items and save money with Hy-Vee in Eau Claire. Winter is here in the Chippewa Valley, which means it's even more important to make sure you have a good vehicle to hit the winter roads of Wisconsin. Need that vehicle for this winter season? Look no further than Toyson Ford in Chippewa Falls. Whether it's a car, truck, or SUV from their new or used inventory, Toyson Ford has the vehicle you're looking for. Making sure you have a good, proper working vehicle is incredibly important this winter season, and Toyson Ford knows that. Just give them a visit today at 1000 Chippewa Crossing Boulevard and visit ToysonFord.com. Austin, I want to go to the NBA here because I think Bucks fans are kind of holding their breaths uh, a little bit with, with Giannis. Uh, Giannis the other night uh, was a late scratch of the game, and they're calling it, I had seen a right shoulder contusion. Uh, at, at that point, they didn't you know, know a whole lot. At least the, the head coach, Adrian Griffin, said didn't expect it to, to be too long, but, but kind of day-to-day. So we know contusion is you know, bruise and, and, and all that sort of stuff. But where, like, on the right shoulder, would it be in a specific spot where he couldn't be able to go or anything like that? Or is that kind of open-ended at that point? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty nebulous. Um, uh, contusions, I mean, we obviously can get them anywhere, right? Anytime you have an impact or, or blow to any part of your body, you can get a contusion, which is a.k.a. a bruise. Um, and obviously when you first hear that, people are like, well, you're bruised. I mean, that's not much. Um, and, but there are areas that are very sensitive to that. And especially if you get down deeper in the tissues, so deep muscle, even in down to the bone, that can happen. Um, so I think long-term wouldn't have a big concern for it, but certainly can be something that could bother them. And obviously, you know, if you, if it's going to affect your shot or, or dribble, rebounding abilities, all those kind of things, just because the ability to move the arm effectively. Um, and as we all know, the NBA is pretty quick to pull the trigger on getting guys rest. Yeah. So I think if you look at it, that I wouldn't, I wouldn't chalk this up to a big concern, truthfully. Um, but obviously, you got to see how it plays out. But I, I, I think it'll be okay. And I know this is a, a little bit older here too, but you know, John Morant, uh, he only played nine games. He was dealing with a suspension, but uh, he's now done for for the season too with with a shoulder injury. I don't know if they uh, they announced exactly what it is, but uh, the fact that he's he's done for for the season, I got to imagine maybe surgery uh, involved in that. Yeah, I believe they said he did. Um, he either did or is going to. Or he would have, uh, yeah. So, yeah, so I, I, I don't know. I'm trying to remember when I read if he either did or is going to. But that was for a labral tear. So okay. 
that's going to be that's going to be um, just a quick recap. Labrum is basically a little fibrocartilage ring that runs around the socket, and that helps stabilize the shoulder um, through most parts of it. The top part is an anchor for the bicep, so both can be problematic. In this setting, I'm I'm assuming it was an anterior or posterior tear that resulted in shoulder instability. So it doesn't always mean the shoulder fully comes out of socket. It can be unstable and shifting. Um, but we all know how explosive he is um, as a player, and so he puts his body in some real <laughs> pretty tough spots. And mm-hmm. so you, for a guy like that to have a shoulder that has any issues with instability, I can certainly imagine that would be very symptomatic for him. So they opted to go right for the surgery as opposed to, to going on the rehab option. Um, and there are times where you see an MRI and it's just like, look, surgery just is unfortunately the way to go. And, and certainly in this case, that's what uh, was elected to be done. Let's move over to the uh, to the postseason here. Uh, first, I want to go back to to the Chiefs and, and Dolphins in that cold weather game. There, when when players play in an environment like that, does that increase the risk? I know you got frostbites, you know, to to worry about and such. But does that increase the 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 chances of any other injuries to to pop up? I mean. You know, does it does it like make the muscles really cold and you know kind of uh, increase that chance for a tear or, or something like that or, or not? Does the weather not really affect that? I mean, it does to a certain degree. I, I those guys are doing their best to stay warm on the sidelines, literally um, and figuratively, as far as staying warmed up, doing drills, and, and you know staying loose and limber. But I think the biggest concern would be an increase in soft tissue injuries. So, going to be hamstring, calf, things like that, where you just kind of tighten up from being cold in the sidelines. But again. These guys aren't just like, you know, sitting down and not moving for 15 minutes while the offense or defense fights first throws out there. So I think that'd be the one thing. As far as like ligament or bony injuries, nothing like that. Um, obviously, uh, even equipment can get brittle when we saw yeah. Holmes' helmet just shatter, um, which was a pretty head scratching thing. I mean, not that it happened, but they didn't stop play immediately. I mean, I, you know, there's especially there's, you know, people, there's officials that are watching from cameras. Everyone saw he had a broken helmet. I cannot believe they let him uh, right. keep playing. I know it was only one play, maybe two, one or two plays, but still, I was like, how are they not stopping this? With I mean, literally a shattered helmet. It was, it was mm-hmm. something else. Do you, by chance, I don't know if you would know this, do you, by chance, know, like, if, if somebody goes in for a concussion evaluation in an NFL game, what that test is like or how quick that, that test is? Uh, variable. So okay. that is. So we do some concussion work. You know, when I was in my fellowship, we assess athletes on the sidelines, and there's some things. Are it's called scat assessments, and there's a couple different tests that we use for basically on field. Um, uh, but really, if you, it, it really is an initial like cursory assessment. To say, is there a sign of something bigger? And more or less, that's a screening test. So if those are positive then you shut the athlete down, and then you do more in, intensive testing. Um, so it's an initial survey exam. They're not able to do, you know, like full diagnostics on the sidelines and certainly like MRIs, EEGs, anything like that. But mm-hmm. you're trying to basically catch the catch something significant. And honestly, the threshold is supposed to be very, very low. I mean, they're supposed to say, look, if there's any signs of concussion, you're shut down. Obviously, there's been plays recently. I mean, Stafford comes to mind where he was laying there and, you know, in slow-mo, you kind of see him roll his eyes, and, and I think that caught a lot of attention to social media. And Whether that was real or not, I mean, if he, if he comes off and exhibits zero signs of a concussion, yeah, they do. Um, and, and the real challenge is these are professional athletes, and nine times out of ten, they're going to say, I want to get back out there. And if they're not exhibiting signs, then they're not. Um, but nowadays, the, the NFL has 
multiple levels of assessment. They have, again, in a, I don't know if they're like in a booth in New York or something, they're watching on TV and they're the, I believe it's athletic trainers and maybe even a neurologist um, or neurosurgeon that does assessments. And then every team also on the sidelines has one. Um, one of my friends used to be the, the neurosurgeon for the Denver Broncos. And so he would do the concussion assessments on the sidelines. Um, and, you know, so those basically are, supposed to be two steps that prevent this from happening but i think again we also live in a day and age where people are micro dissecting tv film and if they mm -hmm. see a guy twitch one thing funny like look that's a concussion and that doesn't necessarily mean that but um it's it's it, it is not like a torn acl where you can mri and it's a black and white yes or no i mean concussions are still not fully understood and, and it's very difficult to detect subtle ones and and we don't even know the full danger of, of the subtle ones versus Obviously, if someone's unconscious on the on the field, posturing like Tua did a couple seasons ago, I mean that's obviously going to raise everyone's eyebrows. Right. But there's there's this middle ground, and even on the real mild end, um, I mean we think that maybe multiple mild concussions are just as significant as big ones. But again, it's still stuff that's not fully understood. So it's a hot button topic, um, absolutely, and I think will continue to be so for the for the foreseeable future. Absolutely. Uh, one player that uh, potentially could come back and play this weekend, Mark Andrews, the tight end for the for the Ravens. Uh, so a little flashback. Back in middle of November, he was, uh, it was a drop tackle where he severely injured his left ankle. And at that point, there was a lot of talk that he would just, he'd be done uh, for, for the season. Ravens kind of left that, that door open. And now there's a chance that he could return. He's been practicing. And I read this on ESPN. I know we mentioned this before, but apparently he brought a hyperbaric oxygen chamber into his house uh, <laughs> to, to, to use over there. So I don't know if you heard. I tried looking it up quickly, like exactly what he what injury he suffered, but they're just saying it was a left ankle injury. I think, you know, I can picture the video right now of that drop tackle. It didn't mm -hmm. look good or anything like that, but, uh, you know, how how effective could he be just, just a couple months after that injury, do you think? Yeah, I mean, so he almost certainly had um, either a Mason-Nuve injury, which we've touched on in the past, that's like a high ankle, like a severe high ankle sprain, like it's, it's where there's complete disruption of those ligaments. It's a specific pattern, but a lot of times it's that where the foot gets stuck in the ground, and then there's a real hard rotation. Obviously, the drop tackle adds not only the, the person who's getting injured, but the person tackling that's like to double the weight and the momentum that goes into it so they certainly look really bad and they are um but to answer your question i mean at the end of the day it's probably a combination of ligament and bony injuries ironically if it's isolated bony injury then it's more likely to heal more predictably and more rapidly so if he had an ankle injury where it was let's say a bimale or trimale equivalent where you're getting predominantly bony injuries they put plates and screws in the bones and heal up pretty well so then, of course, you have to have the rehabilitation of the soft tissues around there, getting the tendons loose, um, getting the muscles to wake back up. So to answer your question explicitly, how effective? I mean, not 100%, no way. Um, could he be out there? I mean, we all know he's one of the elite tight ends in the NFL. Um, and so I think if, if he's able to work himself back in and, and be at 70 80%, is that going to be good enough? Oh, we'll see. Um, I, I'm guessing they're going to probably play it um, – close to their vest to see mm -hmm. how how he's going to be able to come back and play and because it seems like they're being kind of nebulous about whether or not he's going to be able to to play but i guess if every week is another week of rehabilitation and, and improved recovery so it's possible but 
it's certainly going to be a stretch, but I, I think this is more likely to recover than, let's say, uh, that uh, that New York Jets quarterback who tore the Achilles. I can't remember his name. But you know what I'm about. <laughs> <laughs> so to, to the hyperbaric chamber, I know that's something we've we've chatted about before in the past, and this might be a really stupid question, but you know, because it provides mm-hmm. oxygen, right, to, to try to help speed yeah. up the, the recovery in that. Does it benefit soft tissue injuries more or bone injuries more, or is it, is it about even at that point? I mean, in theory, it can be used for all. So I think, like we've discussed, I mean, the real evidence-based medicine use for that is going to be in non-healing wounds and people who have poor perfusion. So diabetics, people with vascular disease that literally have difficulty because people with vascular disease, it's the main vessel. So let's say going down your leg, your femoral artery becomes your popliteal and tibial artery as it goes down the leg those become constricted so they don't get enough blood flow and what i mean one of the main things that blood delivers is oxygen so if in those patients who who don't have enough oxygen flow or diabetics who have not the main vessels it's actually what's called microvascular disease so it's the small vessels that all the way at the end in either event at the end of the day that tissue is not getting enough oxygen so in those patients if you ramp up the oxygen you might be able to make a difference and i say might Again, in, in those cases, it's not always that, that effective, but it can. It can be a, a difference maker. Now, a person who has normal perfusion, has that been shown? No, it, it's not really clear. Um, and now these guys obviously have unlimited budgets virtually. Yeah. Um, so they're saying, look, I'm going to throw everything I can at this. Again, it's, it's not really been proven in a large study to, to make a huge difference because I think the margins are very small. But again, people who have disease processes, diabetes, vascular disease, et cetera, those certainly has been used and been shown to improve, um, like non-healing ulcers in the feet, things like that, that, that wounds that are, have a hard time healing. So, um, again, these athletes, yeah, they, they try to do it, but um, they, again, are throwing everything at it and hoping something sticks. Yeah. Uh, last question for you, uh, Dre Greenlaw from, from the 49ers. He's listed as questionable for this game, but they're calling it Achilles tendonitis. Uh, the, the, he's trending towards playing, it sounds like. You know, when you think of Achilles, I mean, you just mentioned that uh, that quarterback over there in New York, but, you know, uh, uh, I think of, you know, other injuries too. Like, does, does that, with with an Achilles tendonitis, could that potentially lead to something more serious or, or a higher risk of, of injury or anything like that? Is that more just pain management at this point? A little bit of both. I mean, we do know that um, ruptured tendons, so whether you're talking Achilles or quad or patellar biceps, whatever it may be, we do know that people who rupture them almost universally have some level of tendinopathy. Um, now, chronic, chronic tendinopathy, you basically get kind of uh, a micro damage and change of the collagen fibers that weaken it um, because, I mean, anyone who's ruptured those tendons, they've done those movements you know, hundreds of thousands of times in our lives, and it's that one that, that ruptures it. So clearly something is different. So there's an underlying process. An acute, you know, tendonitis like this is a little bit different, but there is certainly a risk factor for that. So I would say, let's say a muscular injury, so a calf injury compared to an Achilles tendonitis, I'd say the tendonitis is certainly more concerning for a rupture, but even then it's not super likely. I mean, we see lots and lots of athletes and adults with this problem and very, very few go on to rupturing. So I would say they're going to be doing in this setting more of a pain management, but I would say that that athlete is at a higher risk for rupturing his Achilles than someone without it, but still not a high risk. Interesting. And does, because they're talking potentially rain in San Francisco, would that make you a little bit more nervous about that too? Um, I guess a, 
maybe, but usually it's not like a slip that blows the Achilles. It's when okay. they are really doing what we call eccentric loading. So the the basically the the body's trying to stretch the Achilles and you're pushing against it. So both Cousins and Rogers, those obviously had had really good video clips of it. Their body's going down, so they're stretching the Achilles out, and at the same time they're firing the muscle trying to pull against that. So. That's called eccentric loading. That's almost always how you rupture major tendons in the body. And so that's usually not a slip mechanism, um, uh, but it could be, um, I guess, in, in a certain circumstance. So I, I would say, you know, that may affect the play of the game more so than the injury patterns this week. Gotcha. He's Dr. Crow inside the training room, Triple Valley Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Want to make a pick? Uh, are you going to go all chalk? Do you have any upsets for, for this weekend? Uh, well, you know, I will say, I mean, and a couple of my friends can verify, I did think that the Packers stood a reasonable chance against the Cowboys. I don't, I'm not sure this weekend. Um, I think that the, it's going to be a tough matchup on the road. Um, but you guys are playing well. i got to give you that. Um, I think if you're able to get pressure on Purdy um, and can, can kind of keep CMC to – I mean, you're not going to be able to stop him, I don't think, but keep him reasonable – I think you're going to be able to kind of hang with them. So I don't think I would be shocked by an upset, but I, I do think the Niners are going to win. Um, I would be surprised if, if Tampa is able to pull out a win. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and then on the other side, uh, let's see, I, who are the matchups? The Chiefs Texans and playing, Ravens uh, and Chiefs and Bills. Ooh, yeah. Man, so one of my buddies coaches for the Texans, so i got to pull for them. I, I think they're the underdogs, clearly. But they've I mean, C.J. Stroud is playing playing phenomenally so i i, I we have to go uh, on that side um, mm-hmm. but it should be some great games no doubt about it some great matchups improbable obviously i don't think many people would have picked these uh in a, in a kind of a playoff grid um, exactly. but certainly some some great matchups absolutely dude we appreciate it as always man uh stay warm out there enjoy the games and uh we'll catch up with you again soon bud absolutely you guys take care you got it there you go dr crow inside the training room triple valley orthopedics and sports medicine that's going to do it for us on this episode of the Man Cave Podcast, brought to you by High V and Toyson Ford. As always, don't forget to follow and subscribe to the Man Cave Podcast. Be a friend, tell a friend about the podcast, and give us a five-star rating and a positive review so others can find the podcast. Until next time, I'm Dan Casper. Enjoy the games this weekend. We'll be back next week with more episodes of the Man Cave Podcast.